0: The Truth In My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. Hi, I'm Dana Torse, and welcome to another episode of the Truth In My Days radio program. Today, I'm here with John Torse and Jason Chan as they discuss the important topic of creation and evolution. We are continuing from the previous episode. We hope you enjoy.
1: If the Big Bang happened, then the galaxies should be randomly distributed throughout the universe all the galaxies should be randomly separated from us so if we looked at the values of the red shifts they should be randomly distributed mm-hmm. but they aren't redshifts appear to increase by quantum leaps specifically by a leap of 45 miles per second so they're quantized actually they're not they're not like uh, they're not randomly distributed so this this is a couple of issues That bring into question whether, in fact, this is the explanation at all for why these things are red-shifted. It's interesting that uh, Tift's work was published in Astrophysical Journal in 1976, the the quantized red shift that he observed. Now, journals aren't supposed to do this. Scientific journals are not supposed to include a disclaimer saying, uh, we don't endorse this idea, but they did. Oh, okay. But they couldn't find anything wrong with it. Hmm. But you know why? Why wouldn't Big Bang people like this? Well, if if the the uh, redshifts are not randomly distributed, there's no reason to think it's due to the universe expanding, which right. means they go your your reason for believing the Big Bang is gone right there. Mm. Now the third big argument we said is Big Bang nucleosynthesis. Big Bang predicted that you should have a ratio of three to one of hydrogen to helium in the universe and of small amounts of the other the heavier elements. These are the two lightest. Hydrogen is the lightest, and helium is the next lightest. And cosmologists using telescope spectrometers, they, they've confirmed that indeed the observed universe is 74% hydrogen, 25% helium, 1% heavier elements. Does that sound reasonable? Does that sound like it could be good proof? So far I don't I don't see anything any issues with it? Yeah. No, you wouldn't. It just looks great if it were actually true. Mm-hmm. The reality is if you look back at the historical data over the years, before scientists actually measured these ratios, they find that the Big Bang didn't actually predict a ratio of 3 to 1. They, they had di- all kinds of different estimates, which they kept then adjusting to agree uh, with whatever uh, okay. the observations were telling us. The estimated ratio is dependent on the ratio of baryons to photons. And baryons are your subatomic particles. Photons are your little packets of light energy. And that's also been arbitrarily adjusted to the degree to whatever we whatever we see. So yeah. when they say, oh, look, observations tell us there's a three to one ratio of hydrogen and helium in the universe. And that's what we predicted. Well, you didn't actually predict that. That's the problem. You retrodicted it. Huh. Once that's you brilliant. knew it was three to one. Then you put that into your theory, and you can read about that in in Mitchell, uh, in physics essays, 1997, volume 10, uh, where he goes through this history of it. But they got a bigger problem. Sure, let's retrodict three to one ratio. And then we're right, because that's what you have. The problem then became that once you put a three to one ratio in there, your mass prediction goes all wacky. Oh, okay. If if the ratio is three to one, then the, the mass of the universe should be 10 times what it is. So here's the problem with your theory. If the hydrogen to helium ratio is correct, then the mass is wrong. If the mass is correct, the hydrogen to helium ratio is wrong. They they don't match observations. Hmm. What should you do with a theory when it doesn't match observation?
0: You throw it away. Well, you should.
1: (laughs) Or if you really want to get rid of God, what do you do? Well, you invent a fudge factor. And here's your dark matter again. Hmm. We need 10 times as much mass? Hey, dark matter will do it for us. It really is 10 times as much mass. just 90%. We can't see. We can't touch. We can't interact with it. But it's there. According to the current model now, the universe is supposed to be 73% dark energy, 23% dark matter, 3.6% intergalactic gas, and 0.4% of stars and the planets and so on. Wow. So, exactly. So
0: you're, you're telling me that... 96% of the universe we can't we see. We can't see,
1: we can't touch, we can't interact with it. But we're supposed to believe it's there.
0: Hmm.
1: Okay. okay. So this is the thing. When you we actually look through the, the Big Bang Theory, it all looks so nice. On the outside, but the more you dig it, the more you dig, you get to the center, you find there's a giant heap of trash. And it has to go, because even if we would accept this, this arbitrary invention of dark matter, we've seen that they... they great wall structure universe still it cannot be explained even if you put in that dark matter so it's it's a theory that again if it weren't necessary for atheism it would have been gone long ago the scary part in all this is how many christians hitch their apologetics wagon to this bogus theory And then they say, oh, look at this. See, science has just kind of proven. Science is, Big Bang Theory is supporting God because it supports that there's a creation and so on. But here's the problem. As we've seen by all standards of real science, the Big Bang Theory should have been abandoned long ago. It's held on to only as a gambit against admitting there's a creator God. So why so many Christians think that this is great stuff is is really not clear. Not clear to me. And what's going to happen when they do finally throw out this theory, when it does collapse under the weight of all of its inconsistencies? What's going to happen to these ministers saying, oh, look, so we're using the Big Bang to prove God. Well, Big Bang's gone. What happened to your proof for God? Also gone. It's also gone. That's, that's a bit of a problem. Hmm. It's interesting that First Timothy chapter 6, 20-21 uh, to 21 actually warned about this. And this is now... About you know, almost uh, two thousand not quite almost two thousand years ago that uh, Paul's writing to Timothy. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so called, which some professing of erred concerning the faith. <laughs> it's like a prophecy there. Now they they are Creationists like like uh, CMI Creation Ministries International would say that you shouldn't you should use this argument. This this verse isn't really about evolution, and they will say this: the important thing here is the meaning of original Greek word translated science, which is gnosis, and in this context refers to the elite esoteric knowledge that was the key to the mystery of religions, which later developed into the heresy of Gnosticism. Now, as I point out, it's not an error by the King James translators, because in their day, science simply meant knowledge; it was interchangeable. But it's no no longer means that. So they say this is this is not something that applies to evolution, theory of evolution, because it's really, in this context, uh, refers to the this mystery, this gnosticism. Sound good? Do you think we should use it? Do you think we should not use it? We can still keep using this Yeah, I, I this think passage, it's, yeah. absolutely, it still applies. Yeah. Now, first, what is in the context that says this refers to Gnosticism? There's nothing. It's not about Gnosticism. There's no evidence that Gnosticism was even there as early as, as sixty year 68, which is the latest possible date for uh, Second first mm-hmm. Timothy. Okay. Uh, probably written around sixty three. Gnosticism just wasn't there. This Greek word "gnosis" is used twenty eight times elsewhere in the New Testament. Always simply means knowledge. Mm, Luke one seventy seven. It's knowledge of salvation. Romans eleven thirty three. Knowledge of God. So it's not referring to Gnosticism. It's not referring to this, this so called elite esoteric knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yes, it's referring to knowledge in general, yeah. not. Just the theory of evolution, right? Okay, but whether you translate science falsely so-called or what is falsely called knowledge, it certainly applies to evolution and right. to the Big Bang theory and to old Earth creationism. Mm-hmm. It would be wrong only if we said that First Timothy six twenty applies specifically and only to evolution. It doesn't apply specifically and only to evolution, but it certainly does apply to that.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: So again. It raises the uh, the question, why so many Christians are taken in by this? And, and it is actually important. You remember that Jesus, in John 3.12, when he is talking to Nicodemus, says to him, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And that's a very good question because it's basically saying, look, if, if I'm telling you about things that you can check, Earthly things, things you can see for yourself. And you don't believe it. You think I'm wrong about those. Why would you believe me right. when I tell about things That's you true. can't check? Yep. It, it's it's a legitimate question on Jesus' part, obviously. And it's very, very true. If you start going to the Bible and saying, it's wrong about this. It's wrong about creation. It's wrong about the age of the earth. But you should believe it on other things, things you can't check. Why would we be surprised To hear the the atheist or the skeptics say, well, why should I believe it on the things I can't check? Sure. When you're telling me it's wrong about the things I can't check. Mm -hmm. I mean, your Jesus himself said you shouldn't. And and that that becomes the problem when Christians start hitching their apologetics to these kind of secular theories that simply don't agree with what the Bible says. And and early on in this series, we did go over whether there's any way to make the Bible fit with old earth creationism, and there really isn't. And so you'd expect, again, that the, uh, the skeptic would say, you don't believe the Bible, why should I? How do you get around that? Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. And then there's another point I'd also like to make, and that's that's Jesus' words in Matthew 6.24. And he's talking specifically here about wealth, mammon. But I think it's a gnomic truth. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And as I said, I think the, the principle that applies universally, you cannot serve two masters. If you have two masters on any issue, okay, you, you, one of them is going to be your your main master. You're going to be loyal to one of them and disrespect the other. There's no way you can be equally loyal to both. So when it comes to epistemology, how we know things, what is our epistemological master? Is it the word of God or is it the the pronouncements of atheistic science? Uh, You you can't be both because sooner or later, those are going to clash and you're going to have to pick one or the other. So when you start saying, well, the Bible, yeah, you know what? You can fit in billions of years. Yes, we can fit in the Big Bang. Who's your true master in that case? Is it the Word of God or is it atheistic science? Which one? Which one are you being loyal to and which one are you despising? Yeah. That's the question.
0: It has to be the Bible, but
1: fortunately we don't don't have to make that choice.
0: Thank you everyone for listening today. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. But please join us for the next part tomorrow. Same time and same place. If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. We would love to hear from you.